Well, last week, Pastor Barry powerfully taught through the story of the sheep and the goats. And um, it is right in this eschatological or parabolic discourse that Jesus has around the end times. Eschatological meaning the study of the end of days. That's what Jesus, and so there's all these parables and stories that Jesus tells. And today's actually comes right before the parable of the sheep and the goats. You're going to, if you heard last week's, if you were online or you were here and you heard it, you're going to notice some of the similarities and that's okay. It's intentional. Before we dive into it, I want to read a quote that I I think gives a good framing. And then second of all, I want to go through these bullet points so we understand what Jesus is saying as we dive into this parable. Scott Sauls says this, I believe that there will be three surprises for all of us when we get to heaven. First, we will be surprised to discover that some who were known in this world as really good people are not there. Second, we will be surprised that others who were known perhaps as bad people are there. And the third surprise should be for all of us, which is this. I think when each of us is given the chance to see Jesus face to face in all of his glory, we will be surprised that we are even there at all. What I pray happens as we now spend the next 30 minutes together is that there would be this beautiful conviction of the Holy Spirit. In Christ, there's no room for condemnation, and so I pray none of that enters the room. But I do pray that the Lord could speak to us and speak to our hearts. For some of you, it may mean coming to Christ, whether you're here or whether you're at home. And for others of you, it may mean repentance and returning to Christ. And for others of us in the room, it may just be that there's an area of our lives that is ordinary, meaning it's just a a thing, but it's become too high in your life, and it just needs to be lowered. It just needs to be put under the lordship of Jesus, not necessarily removed, but displaced. And so so we understand the context of the parable that we're going to read. It is a weighty parable like sheep and goats. But in Jewish marriages, when Jesus was speaking, there were, they involved two stages. The first stages was betrothed, which is similar to engagement, but different. A betrothal was essentially when the parents would sign the wedding contract that these two kids were going to be married, and then usually about a year later would be the full consummation of the marriage and then the celebration and wedding feast. So it's different the way which we understand kind of romance, dating, engagement, and marriage ceremonies. This is very different. So there's betrothal, and then a year later, there's the marriage celebration, the feast, the banquet. And again, usually about a year later, there was this celebration. Oftentimes, it was at the home of the groom's parents. Um, That's where it was. And so, I want you to imagine the scenario in which Jesus is telling this parable. There's no modern-day electricity. It's not just like, oh, there's the streetlights. It's absolutely pitch black going from town to town or village to village. And so, when he begins to talk now about individuals who have these lamps, it was the only way for the bridegroom to actually safely make his way home. So they have a really distinct purpose that is important for us to understand. When Jesus talks often about light, he is the light, but he calls us light, calls us salt, calls us light. So each of us as followers of Christ, we have this ability to shine light, to help people see who Jesus is. And it's something that's not for special Christians, it's for all Christians. He's going to tell a parable about ten virgins. Five of them are foolish and five of them are wise. A virgin is just another word for maiden or unmarried daughter, or as Beyonce would say, all the single ladies. Okay? That's just really all that Jesus was... 
that's all that Jesus was essentially saying, like in a modern, in a modern day ceremony where the bride may throw a bouquet and those who are single, they catch it and they're like, I'm next. It means nothing. It's just superstitious, but we do it. What Jesus was actually talking about here were just maidens and unmarried daughters. They all had a part to play. And so again, that's what he's saying. When he talks about wise and foolish, foolish isn't just that they did dumb things. It's not what he's talking about. Uh, Foolish, biblically, is that you're walking in the way of disobedience. You know the way to walk, but you've chosen or you are choosing not to walk in that way. Okay, so it's not just, oops, I did a dumb thing or I said a dumb thing. It's I'm intentionally choosing to walk in a way that is unworthy being a follower of Christ. It's not the way in which we're to walk. A couple more bullet points before we read. In this parable, all virgins are in the story, all maidens, all unmarried daughters, they are all dressed the same. They are all dressed externally to go to a wedding feast, to go to a reception, to have a party. They're all dressed in that way. They all have the torch. Uh, They all have on the external everything that's required. But here's what Jesus is driving at. When you look with your external eyes, things may look fine on the outside, but that's not always indicative of what's gone on on the inside. Jesus is saying that they may look externally like they're playing the part perfectly, but there's something actually that's different. They're not truly alike. And this is the point of the parable. And as we did share last week in our campuses, that God both and equally, God knows those who are his, and he notices what we do, and in him noticing what we do, he knows the motive for why we do. Do you see the little circular pattern there? God knows those who are his, God notices what you do, and he also knows why you do what you do. We can fool one another in the sense that I can look and go, wow, what a generous person, or what an altruistic person, what a loving person, but you can be doing what you're doing from insecurity or from unhealth that looks on the outside one way, but it's not actually genuine. Or this morning, you know, we could all lift our hands or not lift our hands. That is a symbol, but it's not a true sign of indicative worship. We can lift our hands and go through the motion and someone can be handing their hands in their pocket and it's an act of worship because everything in them was fighting not to get to church this morning and just them pushing through all the adversity they're there is an act of worship. This is what Jesus is driving at. This is what he is speaking at, as he always does. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Enough intro. Let's dig in. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, everyone say, was delayed. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. This is all, this parable is all about the bridegroom. Then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. 
And afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. This is not God saying, I don't have general knowledge of who you are. This is a revelation of you're not mine. You have never accepted me. You've never followed in my ways. I do not know you. So he says, watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. This is the story that Jesus tells about his coming again. This is a parable about being watchful, about expectation, and also about purpose. There is a groom and there is a wedding party that is expecting his arrival. And in between the groom's arrival and the party that is about to begin, there is darkness. There is delay. And light is essential in the midst of darkness and in the midst of delay. I want us to first notice what Jesus isn't saying. What all ten maidens have in common. So number one is the A. I guess letter A would be that they all have oil in their lamps. Each and every one of them has a role of significance and an expectation to meet the bridegroom. There is no such thing in the world as an insignificant Christian, though you may feel varying levels of significance. In his body, the moment you give your life to Jesus, simultaneously you are given a ministry and a mission. You are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You are given spiritual gifts for a purpose, and that is to serve the body of Christ, to build the local church so that the local church might be salt and light in the midst of the delay seasons of life in a world that is dark and lost. This is the heart of what being a follower of Jesus is all about. So we all have roles of significance, every single one of us. We have this expectation that though we see Jesus, one day we will see him in all of his glory. Another thing that Jesus makes absolutely clear is that followers of Jesus, the wise and foolish virgins, they all become drowsy and they all subsequently fall asleep. Now, what is Jesus driving at here? Well, in the delay seasons of life, how many of you know when you give your life to Christ, you still need to get a job? You still need to pay the bills. You still get to enjoy hobbies. Like some of you, you love gardening, and others of you like food, and some of you who are really blessed like sports. (laughs) Just little jokes there. Some of you like the theta. Exactly. Right? But we all have these different hobbies. Life is meant to be lived and enjoyed. There is no worse testimony than a follower of Christ who hates life. It's a terrible testimony. Jesus has no problems with the ordinary things of life. But the warning within the story, once again, is don't let the ordinary things of life become your top affections. Don't let your hobbies go to an unhealthy place where they begin to become the soul or the source of your life, of your affection. Hobbies are fine in their right place, but when they become unhealthy in our lives, they take a place that is not good. So Jesus doesn't, does not distinguish between wise and foolish virgins based on the ordinary things of life. But what he does say is something that is significant that perhaps you and I have not seen in fullness, but we've got a glimpse of. We all live through ordinary seasons in our lives. And then there are seasons of crisis. 
Then there are seasons of revelation. Then there are seasons in our lives that God sometimes intentionally leads us into or the enemy through deception causes us to walk into, but they become seasons in our story where what is really true shows up. Not what I believe to be true or not what I hope to be true or not what I put on Facebook or Instagram or any other social media channel. Not the world I want you to believe the world that is. That really shows up. And so what Jesus is saying is whether it is sheep or goats, there's going to be an ultimate time where every person on the planet, past, present, and future, who's going to be gathered before Christ, who is the righteous judge, who knows who's are his, who knows why we do what we do, and he is going to separate sheep from goats. He's going to separate wheat from tares. There are crises and there are storms in our lives that show us whether we are building on wise, like wise builders on rock or foolish builders that we have built on sand. And what Jesus is saying here, that there's a moment when the bridegroom shows up, it is another moment of divine opportunity that reveals who are his and who are not. This is what Jesus is saying. So every one of us have ordinary and defining seasons of life. And defining seasons of life, how are they different from ordinary seasons of life? Again, they bring moments of revelation. The Bible is very, very clear. I don't know if you've ever tried sinning, but it is really, really fun. Some of you are like, you're not supposed to say that. You're not allowed. I don't think you're allowed to say that. If it isn't fun, you're not doing it right. I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong. It's really, really fun for a season. The season will lead to a moment of revelation where all of a sudden that which is fun is no longer fun because maybe what started with a click ends up with you serving it. And there is now no more joy. You know, there are some of you that you got through the pandemic, and it is a good thing. But some of you got through the pandemic in this way, add to cart. What do you do when you feel stress and anxiety? Add to cart. Is shopping a bad thing? Of course not. It's an ordinary thing. But I promise you that there's no amount of consumption of earthly things that is going to ever truly satisfy what your soul needs most. And there are these moments of revelation. There are some followers of Jesus who attribute that it is the attack of the enemy when their stuff gets touched. But I have found nine times out of ten, it is the Holy Spirit who begins to touch our stuff to show us where our affections truly reside. And so this is what we see, that there are moments that the suddenly of God may seem slow, but when it arrives, it's a divine moment where all changes in an instant. Between the bridegroom's departure and his arrival, there's a delay. Everyone say a delay. All of us are living in a delay. Every one of us is right now living in a delay. Yes. We are living in a delay. We are living in a season, all of us, under the common grace of God. That there is a moment appointed to every single one of us that whether it is through death 
or whether it is Jesus comes again, there is a moment where every single one of us living in the delay will experience a moment that the opportunity of a lifetime needed to be seized during the lifetime of that opportunity. That there are seasons in God and then seasons change. One thing that I don't know that you don't know is this. I do not know if this is my last Sunday on earth and nor do you. I pray it isn't. I pray I've got nothing but like hundreds and thousands. My math is terrible. I have no idea how old that gets me, but I pray I got lots more. But regardless of whether it's my last or I've got lots and lots more, all of our lives are but a vapor. Loved ones, how many of you know that in tough seasons, the days are long, but when you look at your life, the years are really short? Oh, get around people who have a little bit more gray in your hair than you. And they will tell you, I blinked and I'm here. This is the weight that Jesus is talking about, eternal things in these these moments. There's a single factor which separates the wise from foolish virgins. And the wise virgins have brought extra, along extra oil in flasks but they're, they're, they're paying attention, they're, they're purposeful, they've taken their assignment, they, they are living from a supply that is different. It says, but the foolish, they took no oil with them except what was in their lamps already, which, again, when you think about it, what good is a lamp if it gives no light? Which is, again, ties into what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that what good is salt if it's not salty? Or what good is light if it's illuminated but then put under a basket? It, it's not the purpose for which it's designed. It, it can't fulfill a purpose. And so... One wise person, when we preached this in another season, asked me an insightful question, and they said this, like, well, time out. There's 10 virgins, right? Yes. Five of them have oil, five of them don't, right? Yes. Then they asked me this question, why does the Bible contradict itself then? And I said, I'm interested. Explain to me the contradiction. To which they responded, well, Jesus said, if you have one coat, if you have two coats, and someone is in need, you give them a coat. So why did those who had oil not give it to the ones who had oil? Loved ones, Jesus is not teaching a contradiction, but he's teaching a a truth of greater consequence in this parable, in this story. And it is this. Yes, I can give you my coat, no problem. I'm not going to, but, you know, metaphorically, (laughs) I can give you my coat, no problem. I can give you my shoes, no problem. Again, I'm not going to, but as an illustration, I could give you my my shoes, no problem. The rest of me will remain clothed for appropriate reasons. (laughs) Not that kind of church, not that kind of service. (laughs) But here's what I would say. There are certain things that I can give you. And yet there are certain things that are not mine to give you. They are God's alone to give you. In other words, I can share my faith with you, but I cannot create faith in you. It is not mine to do. And in fact, Christians have tried throughout the years. We have tapped into wrong power sources trying to conquer when we are called to serve. And there are beautiful parts of the church where you can see where we love and we serve. 
And then there are parts in church history when you can look like the Crusades and others where, again, you can see that we tap into the wrong power and by force we try to do what only God can do. And what Jesus is driving at here in the story is there are some things that we can give and there are other things that we can't give. The oil in Scripture, it talks about anointing. Anointing is in reference to the Holy Spirit often. And the one thing I know is that I can lay hands and I can impart, but it is only the Spirit can do what the Spirit can do. In other words, like the five, in this context, we're not talking about cloaks and shoes. We're talking about what only God can do. In fact, Jesus even drives it a little bit further in the parable. When the bridegroom appears, the five foolish virgins are found scurrying and buying oil. They are sent away because they are not prepared for the moment when it arrives, and there they are trying to buy what it is that they could have been given and brought with them. Here's what I want to tell you. There are two stories in the world in which we live. One is the gospel, and the gospel is that you and I are bankrupt in our sin, but by the work of the cross and the empty tomb and the poured out Holy Spirit, you and I, as a gift of grace, can receive absolute transformation. And the moment we receive Jesus into our hearts and lives, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, I know there are secondary experiences. We'll talk about that later. But you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are given spiritual gifts, and in that moment, you are transformed so much that Romans says that our hearts cry, Abba, Father, or you can buy into religion. And if you buy into religion, even following Jesus always rests on your shoulders. You always need to do more, pray more, be more, buy more, buy more, buy more, buy more. And Jesus is saying the gospel is not buy more. The gospel is you have been bought with a price. It's entirely different. So we can all be in church again today. We can all be here today and we can all know the word church and we can know the word Jesus, the name of Jesus. And we can quote the name of Jesus. But again, it doesn't necessarily mean we're living into the gospel. We can be living into other things and there are moments where they need to get dethroned and Jesus needs to be placed in his rightful place. Because again, this story isn't really about five foolish or five wise virgins It's really about when the bridegroom shows up, it's all about him. Are you ready? This is what it's about. When the bridegroom appears, again, what do they find? The brides who were the, the virgins who were foolish, they go and they knock on the door of where the bridegroom is. And where the other wise virgins are and where the party is taking place, they they knock on the door. And what do they find? They find that the door is shut. Again. Every single one of us need to embrace that there are times and seasons in our lives. If I took you back to Genesis, I could talk to you about a boat. And while the boat was being built, the singular door of the ark was open for year after year after year after year after year after year after year year until the rain fell and then it was a different season and then what was required is for God to shut the singular door so there could be safety for those who were within who he knows and were called by his name and who answered the call. Jesus says and makes it really clear, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. She will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, find rest. And as the ark had a singular door, Jesus too is the singular door. Is the only way, truth and life and the point of access to God the Father. 
Yet according to Jesus, our hearts also contain this metaphoric door. No, there's no door in there. There's a metaphoric door. And amazingly enough, Revelation 3 verse 20 says that every single human being, whether it's your mom or your dad, your brother or your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your friend, your coworker, every single human being, whether they are in Iraq or Tweed, Ontario, says that, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone, everyone say anyone, anyone hears my voice and what? And opens the door to their heart. We do not have in North America a problem with hearing God's voice. We have a a deep problem with voice recognition. We can no longer, oftentimes, in our biblical illiteracy, we do not distinguish the difference between God's voice, the enemy's voice, and our ordinary voice. But what the scripture says is when anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus says, I will come into them and eat with them and he with me. In other words, Jesus is not trying to make it difficult to be found. He knows how to uniquely knock on every single heart, but sometimes the knocking is so consistent that it becomes ordinary and mundane. Success, fame, worldly wisdom, every religion is a way that we may try to buy ourselves oil. But it doesn't matter what the source of our life is if you're not with the bridegroom, the door of the wedding feast, Jesus says, remains shut. Friends let friends put their shoes back on church, in church. You know, It really doesn't matter how the enemy deceives us as long as we remain deceived. But having oil in their lamps and flasks with oil enabled the wise virgins to see the bridegroom when he appeared. In other words, summarize this simply. Is the orientation of your life, is it looking for Jesus and what Jesus is doing and where he's active and how he loves you and how he calls you? Because if it is, here's what I promise you. You keep your eyes on Jesus, you won't miss him. But Jesus is saying, oh, in this life, there's worry, there's persecution. If you think about the other parables, now begin to pull them together. There's plenty of things that are going to pull at these things in our hearts and lives that will cause our affections and our attention to be drawn elsewhere. I find it incredibly sobering. I find this parable, the ones we've been in, these eschatological discourses, I find them remarkably sobering. The bridegroom says this to these individuals. And afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I I do not know you. Watch, therefore, 
for you know neither the day nor the hour. In a loving pastoral moment, some of you are really interested in end time stuff. I mean, you, you want to figure out, you want to figure it all out. Well, you can try to figure it all out, but you still don't know the day or the hour. We know the season. But here's what I've also discovered. You can be so interested in a topic of the scriptures that you lose sight that the scriptures are actually about him. We have more good theology in the church today, but good theology alone does not make us more like Christ. Surrendered to him, empowered by the Spirit, makes us more like Jesus. John Piper says this, Jesus is saying to the five foolish virgins, I don't see in you the life, the evidence of loving my name and departing from evil. It isn't that I don't know you. It isn't that I don't intimately know everything about you. It is that God absolutely knows that you are not mine. And therefore, he says, I don't know you. Be spiritually alert. Be awake to your calling. Awake to Jesus, to the way of life in Christ. Because if we treat the Lord like he's unimportant long enough he becomes precisely this. Meaning, stay alert spiritually. Keep my greatness, my beauty, my worth always before you. Don't slip into a greater love for the world. If you do, be careful because it may mean that he doesn't know us. See, the world was not ready to accept Christ when he came to earth the first time, although his coming had been clearly and repeatedly predicted by Old Testament prophets. Preparation for his second coming, even though we're living in the delay, will be more decisive and consequential than his first. And when he appears, oh man, I feel the weight of this the opportunity for salvation and citizenship in the kingdom of heaven will be passed and the door will be shut. One of my favorite theologians, Christopher Wright, describes the judgment of God this way, similarly to C.S. Lewis, that the judgment of God is rooted in the righteousness of God and it also flows from the love of God. And because love is not self-seeking in any way, then on earth, who we call Lord in eternity, the same ark just continues. And the judgment of God that is most profound is not when we see him intervene in a way and like rain down from heaven. That's a way, but it's not the way. No, Old Testament, New Testament, the same. One of the judgments of God that is most profound is when he lets what you and I have made Lord simply be our Lord. And so the judgment of God is just to allow you to continue on earth and into eternity to serve a Lord of your own choosing. 
Oh, what a weighty, sober reality. So if you want to make sexuality your God, its will will be done. In North America, if you want to make politics your God, its will will be done. If you want to make rebellion your God, its will will be done in totality in your life. All but to all who call on the name of the Lord, his will will be done. No one knows the timing of their end, nor the coming of the Lord. And so we're to live as if it is soon, for today is the only day of salvation. And we are to plan as though it may be far, by not growing weary and doing good. And so I would be honored to lead you in prayer to the one true God. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's him knocking on your heart and you opening that door. Let's remain seated and let's together pray these words. Let's say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me just the way I am, for loving me enough not to leave me the way I am. And so I confess, I've sinned. I am a sinner. Change my identity. Save me from my sin. And lead me in every facet of my life until I look more like Jesus. Amen. If that's you and you prayed it for the very first time, you are a follower of Christ from this moment. For some of you, this could be a moment of repentance. And yet for others, it could just be a moment where God is saying, there are temporary things that need to be replaced. I know we're just a touch long, but I want to just lean into a prophetic moment and then I'm going to have Pastor Julie come. I think I've heard, is that little Arlo's voice that I hear? Is that Arlo? Was he, was he singing a minute ago? I love it. Before I had kids, excuse me, before we had kids, my, before Lori and I had our children, every child's cry sounded the same to me. Just annoying. That was a joke. Not Arlo's. Arlo's is a sweet sound. Honestly. Honestly, having gone through the pandemic and not had kids in the building, I love the sound of kids. I'll never hear it any, like I'll never hear it the same way again, or I don't want to ever hear it the same way again. But here's what I'm leaning into, okay? When we had children, it was uncanny how Lori and I began to learn the different cries of kids. You could hear a cry of distress because it was very, very different from like a I'm frustrated cry. Why do I say that today? Because there are a few of you, whether you're here or you're online, I don't know. You're in a season of tears. And you are listening to a voice that is false. The voice that you are listening to says this. 
that your heavenly Father neither hears nor cares your cares about your cry. But I want you to know as parents know the sound of the cry of their child, how much greater does your heavenly Father know you? And may you not be deceived in this season, but may the Holy Spirit bring clarity to you that your God hears you and that your God cares about what is creating the situation, the circumstance, the pain. What is creating? What's the source of it? He cares about it. So much so that he is inviting you to come to him who you are broken and weary. And in exchange, he's going to take those burdens off your shoulder and give you life. But if you continue to listen to the voice of the enemy that says God doesn't care, then on top of your pain, now you're going to have missed expectations about God. And it's a warning to no longer listen to that voice, but to follow the one true voice who is going to lead you into life. May Jesus bless you and keep you. Thank you.